Funding for Smart Talk is provided by Capital Blue Cross, providing health care coverage accepted by doctors and specialists in all 50 states. Serving the community for over 75 years, Capital Blue Cross is behind you for whatever lies ahead. More information is available at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by Pinnacle Health, bringing quality care to your community through Harrisburg, Community General Osteopathic, and West Shore Hospitals. More information on our locations is available at pinnaclehealth.org. Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. Too often we've heard hurricanes or storms that bring damaging winds and large amounts of rainfall called storms of the century. Hurricane Harvey in Texas, which has now been downgraded, is being described as a storm that occurs once every 800 or 1,000 years. Rainfall of over 50 inches in some places has resulted in widespread flooding. The situation in Texas is being called catastrophic. On today's Smart Talk, we look at several aspects of the storm and flooding and flooding in Pennsylvania. Joining us off the top of the program today is Rachel Bracken. She lives in Tomball, Texas. It's a suburb of Houston. Ms. Bracken lived in Lancaster County for most of her life before moving to Texas just a few years ago. Rachel Bracken, thank you for taking time out this busy time for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Scott. And, you know, we're going to tell you right off the bat that uh, Rachel Bracken is on a cell phone and cell phone service in the hurricane area, the area affected by flooding is not the best. But uh, I did think that uh, you'd like to hear from someone who is a central Pennsylvania native who uh, is in Texas right now. First of all, Rachel, how are you and your family doing? We are safe and dry for now. Uh, We do not expect to be directly affected by the flood, but all of our surrounding neighborhood is very wet and impassable, and we are stuck inside maybe with a little bit of cabin fever. You live in an apartment complex, is that correct? I do, and it is up off the street level, fortunately. Mm, So you have not seen any damage to your property or anything like that? No, we have seen some downed trees from earlier uh, in the hurricane when the winds were blowing, but other than that, um, we're not seeing any significant damage in this immediate area. But the water is close by, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, Where we shop, where we, uh, you know, where my bank is, where we go on the weekends to the Starbucks, that's all underwater. That's only about, uh, from what you told me, only about two blocks away, right? Correct. So, from what you described to me earlier, it sounds as if the water just kind of like makes its way up to uh, just a block or so away from your apartment building, but then gets deeper as you go. How would you describe that? Well, so, the roads around uh, the major freeways and the roads surrounding various neighborhoods are designed in Houston to fill with water first to almost siphon away the water from the major residential areas. So there are parks that are built, the feeder roads, they're all designed to flood in an event such as this so that the homes stay dry. Uh, That's worked in my immediate neighborhood. It's not worked in other areas. Give me an idea of uh, Tumball. Am I pr- pronouncing that correctly? Uh, where yeah. is it in relationship to Houston? It's uh, We are north-northwest of the center of Houston. So there are three major beltways that go around Houston. There's the inner loop, which is 610. There's the beltway, which is beltway 8. And then there's beltway 99. We are midway between uh, 8 and 99, north-northwest. How many miles from Houston? Uh I, I couldn't say. I can say on a good day, it takes me about a half an hour to get downtown. Uh, on a bad day, it's about an hour and a half, two hours. Yeah, so that's a good day with uh, not a whole lot of traffic. And so, you know, we all have been watching what's going on in television, just following it, hearing about the rescues and the people who have lost their homes. Uh, do you know anyone who actually has been in that uh, in that situation? Yeah, I know quite a few people. Um, we attend a church downtown that uh, attracts, that's kind of a liberal church, and it attracts folks from all over the county. Um, 
and about half of those are from the southern part of the county, and many of them have lost their homes. Uh, some of them have been airlifted off of the top of the roofs of their homes, uh, and some of them were evacuated prior to their homes flooding, but uh, I anticipate that we will be involved in a lot of cleanup uh, and and restoration after the fact. You're, you're still in Harris County, right, which is the same county yeah. as Houston? Yep, sure am. And you have children too, right? I have one. I have a six-year-old boy. And what about school and that that kind of thing? School is closed until after Labor Day at the earliest. At this point, uh, we got the word on Monday uh, after after school being canceled on Friday and Monday and ten. Then we got the word on Monday that it was canceled for the rest of the week. So you're stuck inside, though. Enough food. <laughs> I do have enough food. Uh, we don't eat a, a ton between the two of us, uh, but we um, uh, we are running out of the good stuff, so to speak. <laughs> we didn't anticipate being in the house uh, for as long as we've been, um, but we're we're okay. We're not going to starve. You you did prepare ahead of time. I mean, you knew this was coming, and uh, you were out doing your grocery shopping, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, lines were really long. Um, we were able to get out, get out um, real early on Saturday before the rains really started coming. Um, the lines were very long then. Traffic was really terrible early in the morning on Saturday as people were scurrying to get the things they needed. Uh, water was sold out in most places, and there were some instances of price gouging where businesses were raising the um, the gasoline price and water prices. I saw um, water for as, as much as $24 for a six-pack of bottles of water. Are you kidding me? I mean, that is ridiculous. I mean, yeah, we, bad. We, we've heard stories about uh, how everyone is chipping in and helping their neighbors and actually literally saving lives. And then to hear a story yeah. like that, that just, that's, that's horrible. Well, the overwhelming response has been neighborly. People have reached out. Um, there are local businesses who have opened their storerooms. Several mattress companies have opened their storerooms for shelters. Uh, there are people with jet skis and boats who are going and rescuing animals and rescuing people. And uh, the overwhelming response here in Houston has been neighborly and togetherness, and, and we will get through. But, yeah, there have been occasions where um, some businesses and or people uh, take advantage of a situation. I think that's true in any it, it probably is, but uh, it's, it's still a shame to, to hear something like that. So uh, describe the rain. I mean, uh, even though y your apartment is in an area where so far it's not flooded, you still have gotten this rain of uh, up to 50 inches. What's that like? Yeah, so we've gotten a little over 30, 35 inches where we are. Uh, it's just a steady, hard rain. Uh, so, so it's, uh, it comes in sort of, they call it bands. So certain bands will come through where it will rain really, really hard. And then it'll lessen up to just sort of a steady rain. And then it'll rain pretty hard again. And then it'll be a steady rain. But it's been constant since about, uh, Friday night, Saturday morning. It's Saturday morning, really around four o'clock in the morning is when I woke up and heard, uh, the first big band of rain come through. And it's been steady ever since. Well, have you been outside? We have. I took my son splashing in puddles yesterday. Uh, we took a, a, some photographs of the surrounding area from the down trees and, and whatnot, um, splashing about. But it got pretty wet pretty fast, so we came back inside after a few minutes. Well... Uh, I want to thank you, uh, Rachel, for uh, joining us today. And uh, I know I'm speaking for everyone here in uh, central Pennsylvania when uh, I say stay safe, you and your son, and uh, hopefully uh, the water does not rise up to uh, the apartment building and uh, Houston comes out on the other end of this okay. Thank you so much. And, you know, while we do need thoughts and prayers, we definitely also need resources. So if you could encourage your listeners to send what they can. Houston voted overwhelmingly for Clinton in 2016, and uh, we need your help. Thank you very much for your call. Uh, I, uh, 
Oh, your call. Okay, thank you for joining us, Rachel. Uh, boy, that's 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 just, just incredible. The, the the stories you hear uh, coming out of uh, Hurricane Harvey. Not it's not a hurricane now, but uh, tropical storm, whatever it's been downgraded to, coming out of Harvey. But uh, hearing those personal accounts, especially someone from here in Central Pennsylvania, just uh, really gives you a sense of uh, what it's like. Pennsylvania is the nation's most flood-prone state. Now, many people may find that hard to believe. Uh, you know, we think back to Hurricane Agnes, Tropical Storm Agnes, and how it impacted uh, Pennsylvania, northeastern Pennsylvania, central Pennsylvania in 1972. Uh, even though Agnes was a catastrophe, it's nowhere near as bad as uh, what uh, Texas and the Gulf Coast is going through right now. But because we are a flood-prone state, it presents a lot of challenges and uh, a lot of uh, preparedness. We got an opportunity to talk with uh, Pennsylvania Emergency Management Agency Director Richard Flynn about what is done to prepare and about Pennsylvania and flooding. Director Richard Flynn, thank you very much for being with us today. Scott, I'm uh, honored to be asked to, to participate in the program. Thank you. When you see images like those in Texas, what thoughts go through your mind? Well, uh, obviously, the very initial thought is, uh, is uh, and, and especially from Governor Wolf's perspective, our hearts and, and, and prayers are, are, are towards those individuals. Uh, you know, this is such a catastrophic event that's happening to the folks in, in Texas and potentially Louisiana. That is, so the initial reaction is obviously the, uh, for the, the disaster survivors. Then, obviously, from our perspective, is you know we, we kick in the mindset of what what can we do in Pennsylvania to help and. We're uh, certainly working, and uh, we'll continue to work with any requests that come in through the Emergency Management Assistance Compact, the EMAC process, that uh, we can offer uh, any Pennsylvania assets. So the governor has made it very clear that we will do everything we possibly can to help citizens of Texas, because recognizing that, that if anything happened like that in Pennsylvania, other states would be providing us support. So very concerned about uh, not only what has happened, but what will continue to happen with the storm and, and the flooding situation that has and will continue to, to occur for a long, long time. When there is a natural disaster like this, typically, uh, does Pima have a role when you talk about offering assistance? What kind of assistance? We have offered EMAC uh, assistance to other states on, on numerous occasions. For example, when Boston had its very significant snow situation a couple years ago, we deployed our statewide incident management team to go up and help work State Emergency Operations Center and, and do what they need to do to get resources out. We deployed, same thing, our incident management team to Hancock, Maryland, when they had a very serious flooding and helped, again, organize and coordinate their response. When they had the Baltimore riots, we sent uh, teams down to help logistically. Then in, when Katrina occurred years ago, we had deployed emergency medical service strike teams, uh, ambulance services uh, down there. And then obviously working with the Pennsylvania Army National Guard, uh, guard assets that are used through the EMAC process, we coordinate that and, and work that issue. Now I know that uh, right now the guard has gone ahead and deployed some communications assets, but that's a that's a guard-to-guard -guard effort, not through state EMAC to Texas. And we have also sent Department of Human Services folks down to help through recovery efforts, whether it's mass care sheltering and those kinds of things. So capabilities that folks have the knowledge and experience, whether in a response mode or in a recovery side, help the state uh, and help the disaster survivors. So those are the kind of resources we can provide. Director, Pennsylvania is described as the most flood-prone state in the country. That surprises a lot of people. Why is there so much flooding in Pennsylvania? Well, you know, we have a, we have a lot of tributaries, uh, obviously, you know, and you look uh, at all three areas of the state, the east, west, and central, we have a lot of water areas going through, uh, water rivers, and, and then you have creeks and streams that people love to live along creeks and streams. And so the reality of it is, is that people will uh, do that, and then if you get a massive amount of rain, you know, most of our flooding occurs in the springtime because then you have the snow melt and uh, sometimes ice jams that occur. But uh, I would say to you that just the number of waterways that exist in Pennsylvania really is the reason why we have uh, so much flooding. And a lot of it will come from, for example, New York. Their water systems feeding right into ours. 
So what kind of flooding are we talking about most often? I mean, we often hear about flash flood warnings, flash flood watches, that kind of thing. Are there other kinds of floods out there, or are we most prone to flash floods? Well, I tell you, the last year or so, we've experienced the flash flooding issue much greater than the river flooding scenario. The river flooding is sort of a slow event, and I say slow, it's, it's over a few days or, or a period of time where a massive amount of rain, a massive amount of snowfall, a snowmelt uh, has occurred, and the rivers rise. On flash flooding, uh, you're dealing with urban or suburban areas, and, and even in rural areas, that creeks and streams overflow their banks. One of the big issues is in flash flooding streets, that the water is just is not going down into the sewer system quick enough, or they're blocked. And you have water that rises very quickly in roads, and we obviously push, you know, go into water, don't turn around, don't drown type of thing, because there's so many times people will drive through those waters. But we've had, again, these flash flooding scenarios, begin uh, because of the strange weather we've had. It's, it, and i, I got to tell you, it's just, it's, you know, everything from, you know, a couple years ago, or one year ago, as a matter of fact, because I was just out in Connellsville this, yesterday, where they, uh, they actually had a uh, one-year anniversary of their, their flooding situation where, you know, 10 inches of rain came in in a four-hour period of time, and that just overwhelmed the, the system to be able to take care of that runoff to tornadoes in Lancaster in February. So it's just uh, there's been a lot of, uh, again, weather events that have occurred that have created that nearly no-notice type events as opposed to flooding from a river. Pretty much you get a chance that there's a opportunity to take heed, move to higher ground, those kinds of things. Now, with the caveat of Texas, with as much rain as they've had in that short period of time, their rivers are certainly going up. Now, again, there's some areas that that are against morning to to evacuate, but there's some areas that they just had barely enough time to evacuate with the the amount of rain they were getting. What's the most dangerous aspect of flooding? Uh, Dangerous aspect of flooding is people drowning. And that's the, the, you know, from a life safety perspective that people are either trapped in their vehicles and or uh, try to move out of their homes uh, into the water itself, in fact, get trapped in their homes. And as you can see down into Texas, where folks are actually having to, to put holes in their roof to, through their attic just to get to the top of the, uh, of the roof. But I would say that drowning is the most significant issue associated with it now. Having said that, the other big issue is power outages. And so a significant amount of power outages occur. You can have people who are dependent upon power from a medical perspective uh, be caught in a situation where they, they're, whether it's their ventilators or other things that they need to, to, for power to, to survive causes a problem. When you say drowning, uh, from what I understand, I think it's even a conversation we've had in the past, that most of those drownings occur when people try to drive through water. That's something that many, many people don't know whether to they should drive or they get a little bit too confident and say, oh, that's not a lot of water. I can make it through there. So is that accurate? That's how is that how most drownings occur? And what is the general rule of thumb of driving through water? Well, uh, you know, I, I'll be honest with you, Scott, I don't have the exact calculations or exact data on that, but I will tell you that, that there's certainly a significant number of folks that do drown because of driving through water. Um, and, 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 again, whether that is uh, – the, the assumption is, is it would be higher than it would be just, you know, again, uh, individuals that are, that are swept away. But you do have some time to time where people will walk through and they actually get swept down, down uh, and, and that does occur. And going back to your other question, yeah, you know, there's a, there's a mindset that people have that, oh, this isn't that big of a deal. I'll go ahead and drive through it. And, um, you know, a, a, all you need is six inches of water, and, and that, that could actually move your car. And, uh, and people just don't understand that. And then not only that, it's on the roadway maybe, you know, taken away, and, and, the, and the car goes down into a particular area. And, and uh, so it's, uh, it's a confidence level that, a false confidence, and it's simply why we say you see water, just turn around and 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 and, and stay away from it, you know, uh, so you don't drown. Director, what can the state do, and what can individuals do to prepare for flooding? Well, you know, uh, and I think one of the key things is, uh, from a recovery standpoint, is flood insurance. Um, 
And what we're finding is that uh, that people who've never been flooded before don't even think about having to get flood insurance. Um, but if they live around creeks and streams, they should seriously consider it uh, and and get that that uh, that because most homeowners insurance. And again, uh, uh, you'll get more information on and in, in talking to the insurance department. But um, most most homeowners insurance don't cover flood uh, type of activities. So. First thing, from in preparation perspective, make sure that you have adequate coverage. Uh, so if, if something does happen, um, you know you're, you're not in a situation where you've lost everything and you have no uh, no funds to take care of that. Then, obviously, uh, heed the warnings of the local, uh, whether it's the National Weather Service. You know, we all have a lot of us have the smartphones and a lot of us have the ability to receive the EAS messages from the National Weather Services or or our counties or or the state. Uh, when you hear those warnings, heed those warnings. Understand that uh, a flash flood warning means that it's coming, and uh, you've got to be prepared. Don't go out into the in, into the roads and, and such. And then, obviously, as we always talk about, and, and uh, we we encourage very strongly, uh, people are prepared for all kinds of disasters. You know, again, um, we we have gone ahead and and asked folks to be, uh, at least be able to have the ability to. Uh, be prepared for food and water and med- their medicines and those kinds of things for, you know, uh, again, a uh, three-day period, 72 hours. Um, and um, because, again, if for some reason you haven't evacuated and you should need to evacuate, but you have to shelter in place or be in your home, you've got to understand that you may not have power and you may not be able to get out to be able to take care of those uh, life necessities uh, food, water, and, and medicines that, that you need to have. Director, much is being made about whether Houston should have been evacuated, and I'm not going to ask you to second-guess or even speculate on that. But generally, when is an evacuation order generally given? Well, you know, again, I, I, I will say to you that, the, that if there is a risk to the population, the emergency management community uh, and elected officials typically will uh, recommend folks do a voluntary evacuation. And, and, you know, again, they look at it from a perspective that it may get too bad that if there's a problem, um, first responders may not get to them. And it was very, very clear in, in, in the whole Texas situation. Uh, you know, Rockport was the, uh, uh, if you will, ground zero where, where the eye of the hurricane hit. And uh, the good news is the majority of the folks did evacuate, but there were some that didn't. And uh, the one mayor that uh, the one mayor that basically said, uh, 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 you know, do do us a favor and write with ink on your arm your your name, uh, so that if when we have to recover you, we know how to, to, to who you are. I mean, to that extent, where they they basically said we made a determination that this is that serious that we may not be able to get in and help you if this if this happens. That's where the evacuation side of the house comes into play. One final question, Director. Uh, we, from the forecast we've seen, it doesn't look as as if uh, Pennsylvania will suffer a whole lot of uh, you know the effects of Harvey. But there is another storm in the Atlantic right now, making its way up the East Coast. Uh, as Pima Director and uh, the Pennsylvania Emergency Management Agency, what are you doing to monitor the current weather? Well, uh, we have uh, uh, the Commonwealth has a state meteorologist, and so we get briefings every single day. We obviously also work very closely with the five national weather services that support the Commonwealth. Uh, We just got off a call with FEMA, uh, who gave us also a report because FEMA's Region 3 out of Philadelphia deals with the Delmarva and the the Delaware and the the Virginia area and uh, Maryland. And um, uh, right now at this point, uh, again, the way the models have it is is that we were, we we should not uh, see very little. I should say we should see very little effects from uh, that uh, uh, in, invest that uh, right now identified uh, uh, coming up the, the side uh, or the east coast. I should say um, there is the, some models that are still saying Harvey may come up through West Virginia, and we're going to certainly continue. But in answer to your question, we. We look at um, the, uh, from meteorological perspective, the, the, the models and, and, uh, and, and do that as far out as we can. And so if we have any indication that it's going to hit the Commonwealth, we start our preparation activities. Pima Director Richard Flynn, thank you very much for being with us today. 
God, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to, to speak to your guest today. Thank you. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Smart Talk is supported by Capital Blue Cross, providing health care coverage accepted by doctors and specialists in all 50 states. More information is available at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by Pinnacle Health Spine Institute, offering a complete range of services to diagnose and treat your spine condition. More information is available at pinnaclehealth.org spine. Welcome back to Smart Talk. We're focusing on flooding. Uh, talked a little bit about Harvey. Talked to a central Pennsylvania native. The American Red Cross is very involved in the relief efforts uh, and relief efforts and Red Cross chapters from across the country, including here in central Pennsylvania. Joining us is Kimberly Maiolo, who is a regional communications director for central Pennsylvania region, central Pennsylvania chapter of the Red Cross. Kim, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. We're live for the rest of the program. If you have a question or a comment, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. That's 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. You can leave a question or a comment on WITF's Facebook page. On Twitter, we are at smarttalkwitf. You know, Kim, Central Pennsylvania is actually probably one of the more significant hubs for the American Red Cross, because many people may not know this, but there is a warehouse in Carlisle where a lot of materials, that the things that are needed in, uh, in Texas and the Gulf Coast will be sent from, right? That's correct. We actually have a warehouse uh, right here in Pennsylvania in Carlisle. Um, I just got word that we've sent seven trailers full of emergency supplies down to the areas that are affected. And, um, you know, I'm sure we'll probably see more coming out of our warehouse. So how has Pennsylvania responded so far to Harvey? Sure. Well, uh, just in Pennsylvania alone, we've had 65 volunteers go down to the areas affected, um, including about seven or eight uh, emergency response vehicles. So uh, just like if something were to happen here in Pennsylvania, um, you know, we know that people would come here to help us. It's really with a disaster of this size, it's all hands on deck and we're sending as many people as as needed to uh, to Texas and to Louisiana. Now, typically, what do those volunteers do? Well, at this point, uh, most of them are assisting in mass care. So we're looking at um, uh, people that are helping in our shelters, so shelter management, helping with feeding all of these people who are down there. Uh, now, as the situation continues to unfold, we'll see more and more people being sent down uh, for um, disaster mental health. Um, there's a lot of people down there that are assisting with supplies and logistics, and we'll continue to see more people that have the opportunity to assist through uh, uh, virtually, uh, which is which is pretty neat because we're going to see a whole lot of casework that's going to happen uh, when the waters start to recede and people need to get back on their feet. Okay, describe that a little bit, because obviously that's fairly new with technology. Sure. So that's the beautiful thing. Um, I, I think there's a lot of people that really want to help, um, but not always uh, are they able to actually get all the way down to Texas from Pennsylvania and, uh, you know, um, commit all the time that goes into a two-week deployment. Um, so there are opportunities for people to work uh, online, over their phone, um, and that's, like I said, through casework, where after uh, the floodwaters recede and people need to get back on their feet. We really help uh, create these recovery plans for people, really uh, their individual recovery plans to assist people to try to get back to where they started before all of this occurred. And we're going to see that going on for months and years. I, you know, that that is really incredible because we've heard many people talk about that. Months, no surprise. But years, of course, we think back to Katrina, which made landfall in New Orleans uh, uh, on this date in uh, 2005, I guess it was. So, uh, you know, that's, that's an example of taking years to recover. This is so big, it's going to take years. Absolutely. And what you typically see in, in you know, individual, um, you know, maybe a home fire or some, a smaller disaster, we're typically there to respond in the first 36 to 48 hours. And then we work with community groups to, to, to aid in uh, the long-term recovery. But in this type of situation where the disaster is this large, we're going to be on the ground and assisting people for months and years, for sure. So how is it coordinated? I mean, Red Cross chapters that are on the ground, do they communicate with the chapters like here in Pennsylvania and around the country saying, here's what we need? 
Yeah, so so essentially, um, we work with our volunteers here locally to um, to see what their availability is. If they're able to commit to a two-week period uh, to deploy and physically go down to Texas, we send them down. And um, we don't want to burn these folks out, so that's why we go for two weeks and then we, we do um, additional waves following. So it's really how many folks that we are able to send down, we do. Um, it's, it's just from a local perspective what we're able to uh, to loan out essentially from our volunteer side. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what do the people of Texas, and it's going to be, I think it's already made its way into uh, Louisiana now, uh, what do the people need? What are you hearing that they need the most? Well, um, from a from a Red Cross perspective, um, the way that people locally can help the most is to provide a financial donation. That way, we can use those funds quickly and efficiently to determine, you know, uh, maybe maybe people are are in need of uh, personal care items. Maybe they're in need of diapers. Maybe they're in need of, you know, uh, whatever whatever it might be at these shelters. And that way, we can get it to them quickly. I know a lot of times people want to help in the best way that they can, and they think it's by sending um, household items, clothing, and food, but um, unfortunately, the cost and the time uh, and the manpower that's associated with having to clean and sort and transport transport those items is more of a hindrance um, than a help sometimes. So um, the way that people can really help currently is to send a financial donation, and they can do that through redcross.org. They can text uh, the word Harvey to 90999, or they can write a check to their local Red Cross chapter and make sure to put in the memo line Harvey. Yeah, you anticipated my next question is, uh, if someone just writes a check or makes a financial contribution, how can they be guaranteed that that money is going toward Harvey victims? Absolutely. And the Red Cross always honors donor intent. So um, what that means is if they specifically say Harvey on the check on the memo, or if they do that, they send a a donation via text, or even if they make a donation online currently, um, you know, this is such a major disaster. That money is going to Harvey right now. So um, you can pretty much guarantee that that's going to happen at this point. Something else I wanted to mention, and this may or may not be related to Harvey, but uh, we are in a, I don't know if crisis is the right word, I'll let you use the word, for blood right now, right? Absolutely, yeah. Um, We're currently under a blood emergency, which uh, means that, you know, we are not getting the amount of donations needed to uh, supply the folks that need the blood uh, as they need it. So um, we we typically see that during the summertime when schools are out and people are away on vacation. As people start to return from that, um, we should hopefully see that level out, but we always need um, a, a constant and steady supply to, for blood for people that need it. So that's way, one way that people can help if they're not able to make that financial donation or, or you know, make the time to actually deploy. An easy way to help is to donate blood. How can they do that? Uh, they can go to redcrossblood.org uh, and they can find the closest place to donate blood or make an appointment. Mm. Uh, so, uh, Kimberly, I want to thank you very, very much for being with us. Kimberly Maiolo is Regional Communications Director with the Central Pennsylvania Region, Central Pennsylvania Chapter of the American Red Cross. Kim, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I want to switch gears now. Something that uh, many Pennsylvanians have had to deal with over the last uh, 10 to 15 years, and that is flooding. Earlier in the program, you heard that Pennsylvania is the most flood-prone state in the country. And unfortunately, there are many people that uh, their home is damaged or they have some kind of damage from flooding and then find out they they probably should have had flood insurance. Joining us is Ron Ruman, who is a spokesman for the Pennsylvania Insurance Department. Ron, thanks for a lot for being with us today. I appreciate the opportunity to get the word out about uh, flood insurance, Scott. If you have a question or a comment, give us a call 1-800-729-7532 or send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. So, Ron, I'm curious whether the insurance department has heard or gotten questions about flood insurance over the last few days with the flooding going on in uh, in Texas. We haven't gotten a lot uh, so far. I suspect that will probably come as we hear more news from Texas after the immediate disaster passes. And I certainly want to echo what Director Flynn said. All of our thoughts and prayers right now are with the folks there to get to be safe. But once you know we get into the next week or a few weeks, then people are going to start to clean up and we're going to hear more about 
flood insurance. So I suspect we'll get a lot of inquiries at that point. And I think probably the most important thing to say this morning is, as you alluded to, uh, most or many people believe that their homeowner's insurance covers flood damage. And in most cases, it does not. Uh, Typical homeowner's insurance doesn't cover flooding. So probably if you uh, think you might have an issue with flooding in your area, you need to get a separate flood insurance policy. There has been a lot of talk about flood insurance over the past few years. Number one, because uh, so many people don't have it. Number two, it is very expensive or it was very expensive. So uh, let's talk about that a little bit. Are more people finally realizing that they need flood insurance, even if they don't live on a waterway or on the coast? Uh, And the second thing is we'll talk about cost. Mm -hmm. Well, I think what's happened more so than people realizing they need it is people have been getting letters from their banks telling them that they have to have it. Uh, The Federal Emergency Management Agency over the last several years has remapped pretty much the entire country with new technology and new information, and uh, that includes the, the flood zones now. And so people are getting a letter from their bank saying, you're now in what's called a special flood hazard area. And if you have a mortgage backed by the federal government or even another mortgage in many cases, you're required to get flood insurance. So people got unwelcome surprises in the mailbox. And as you mentioned, in many cases, they were pretty expensive. Uh, so that is one instance where I think people have uh, been forced to into finding out about flood insurance. And uh, we started to hear about this a few years ago, and Governor Wolf had established consumer protection as the top priority for the insurance department. So former Commissioner Miller and now Acting Commissioner Jessica Altman have really made that a priority, and so we started to look into this. And what we found is, uh, over the last several decades, flood insurance for homes was pretty much available through the federal government's National Flood Insurance Program. And that program subsidized, heavily subsidized, uh, properties in high-risk areas. Since Katrina and Sandy overwhelmed that program with claims it's fallen $24 billion in debt, Congress has now passed laws phasing out those subsidies because of that debt. That has brought the private market into residential flood insurance. And so following Governor Wolf's direction to get to to help consumers, we set up a one-stop shop flood webpage. It's at insurance.pa.gov. Click on the flood icon on the right side of the page, and you'll find uh, under the resources box a list of people selling private flood insurance, companies and individual agents selling that, as well as information on NFIP. And what we found, Scott, in many instances is that uh, for people who are not in the higher risk areas, the private flood coverage was much, much more affordable. One one example was a gentleman in Hershey who got a letter uh, from his bank in 2013, lived in his home since 1999, never flooded even in Ivan and Lee's back-to-back tropical storms that really hit Hershey hard in 2011. Uh, But he got the letter. Uh, The NFIP insurance was going to cost him $2,700 a year. He was able to find a private uh, policy for $700 a year. That's still a lot of money, but $700 is a lot better than $27. So we really encourage folks, if they get a letter or they need flood insurance, to come to our website and, and see what's available, shop around, make some calls. I have an email that says, I don't live near a creek, stream, or river, but I do live in a low-lying area. In really heavy rain, when the water table is full, we sometimes get water in our basement. Would this qualify, uh, and should we get flood insurance? Well, you know, it's I, I can't really advise whether they should or shouldn't, but I certainly would recommend that they talk to an insurance professional about that because, you know, if they get water there and we get a particularly hard storm, it could be a tough situation. And the other thing we're trying to, to get word out about, Scott, is exactly this situation. Even if you're not required by your bank to get flood insurance, it's something you may want to look into. And these folks should probably talk to an insurance professional about it. Because in Pennsylvania, we find many of our floods occur outside of these flood hazard areas. And and your listeners will recall a couple of instances in the last year. Last October, in Center County, in the Milesburg area, there was a freak storm that dropped eight or nine inches overnight. And scores of businesses and homes were flooded up there. They were outside a flood hazard area. And just in, uh, I think it was July, in Middletown, we got five inches of rain in what, an hour and a half or something, many of those homes and businesses that were flooded were outside of flood hazard areas. So we definitely recommend folks, even if you're not in that area, good thing to sit down at the kitchen table and talk about and see what and make some calls, see what's out there, see how much it costs, because as the, the person that emailed, that may be a situation where it would be to your benefit. I want to clarify something. Um, there may not be water rushing down the street, but If there is water in your basement or the first level of your home, homeowner's insurance does not cover that? Well, it... it 
In many cases, it would not. It would. Ha- it probably would depend on the exact situation. But if it's because of heavy rains, that type of thing, and it's a considered a flooding event, then it. it in most cases, the homeowners insurance will not cover that. Right. Let's take a phone call from Norman in Lancaster. Norman, you're on the air. Uh, thank you for taking my phone call. Yes, this you're was welcome. listening to MSNBC News from Texas about five minutes ago, and learned that people in Texas have to file online by this Friday in order to get uh, flood insurance reimbursement monies. Uh, I would think that might be a little difficult for probably 99% of those people. Yeah, uh, that, we'll take your comments off right. air. Thank you Thank very you. much for your call. Uh, I don't know whether you could address the situation in Texas, but the, the kind of deadlines that he's describing here, I mean, that happens? Well, unfortunately, if you have a flood, it's too late to get flood insurance. Uh, you need right, to have it right. before that. And, and actually, with the National Flood Insurance Program, they have a 30-day waiting period after you purchase the policy before you're covered. Now, with some private insurers, that may or may not be the case. That's where you would need to talk to the individual insurer about that. So uh, I, I would think that you would, and I, I can't address that, that specific situation in Texas. I would think that, uh, you know, in most cases, uh, if you're in that type of a dire situation, you're out of your home, you can't uh, really assess the damage to have to file that claim right away. Seems a little bit uh, excessive, but I, I can't address that specifically. Yeah, I mean, the water may not even go down right. by, by yeah. Friday, so yeah. it's 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 hard to tell how much. There probably are people who won't be able to even see their homes by Friday, so yeah. I, I have a sense that the that may be a situation where they waive that. Let's let's I hope, hope so. Yeah. I would hope, yeah. yeah. So you know, you had some statistics that uh, you were telling me about about Pennsylvania, and I, I keep going back to Pennsylvania being the most flood-prone state in the country, which a, a lot of people find that hard to believe because they think of these coastal areas or they think uh, being along a huge river like the Mississippi River something like that. But we just have a lot of floods, mostly flash floods. So you had some numbers that really are, you know, are, are eye-opening. Yeah, and I've, I'd always heard that, too, and I, it was it's kind of struck me as odd, too. But then you think about all the creeks and streams and rivers we have. People in Pennsylvania like to fish. They like to boat. And, you know, you think about it, you're out on the water there, and sometimes it's near homes. But over the last decade, there were almost 18,000 flood insurance claims filed with the NFIP, which was, until the last couple of years, the only game in town, from Pennsylvania. Almost 18,000 claims for $551 million in damages in 66 of the state's 67 counties. So it's everywhere and it's frequent you know I, I have to and i i don't know whether you can answer this or not ron but uh, uh, you say that the in, insurance company private insurers are getting into it now offering um flood insurance plan i'm a little surprised they are if there is that much risk well, it depends where you are, obviously. Uh, they are not going to, private insurers are not going to insure the higher risk properties. So those folks are still going to need NFIP. But um, but for many areas uh, where it's lower risk, maybe you've been mapped into it or you haven't had a lot of flooding happen, it's a, it's a market that they're now interested in because of the subsidies being phased out. They can compete. So there, there certainly is risk, and that's, you know, that's a lot, of, but it's over 10 years, and you think of all the homes in Pennsylvania, it's still a pretty small percentage. But, you know, it, it, it does exist, and it does exist everywhere. But there is interest in the private market. And in the first year, we had our webpage up from February of 2016 through February of this year. Uh, we did see the number of private policies more than double from about 1,500 to about 3,300. Still a pretty small percentage of the total policies in PA. But again, we're encouraging folks to, if you want to do this or you need to do it, uh, look into that and see what the better deal is that you can get. We'll take one more uh, phone call quickly. Uh, Heather's in Linglestown. Heather, you're on the air. Hi. I've been getting flooding ever since Sandy, um, and I couldn't figure out why because I'm not in a flood zone. And then it finally occurred to me that my neighbors behind me have sump pumps in all of their basements, and they dump all of their water into my backyard. And I was wondering what your thoughts on that are. I can't get the township to help me at all. Um, is it uh, flood insurance, or is it my homeowner's insurance? Thank you very much for your call. Well, again, that it's. It, I'm not in a position to say on a, a specific case by case 
basis because uh, that would be what we call giving legal advice, and I can't do that. <laughs> uh, but I, and I, I'm sorry that there can't be something worked out with the municipality because my first thought was going to be to talk to your municipality. Uh, I would, I would again, I would talk to an insurance professional because they deal with this every day and and see what they think that might be. It might be a situation where it's it's better to get that and then you're covered because. It may be something you can find for a relatively inexpensive amount of money, and and you know see what that might be. I, on a, you know on an individual basis, I can't really say, mm-hmm. but it's probably in my case, I'd suggest being safe rather than sorry. Ron Roman is a spokesman for the Pennsylvania Insurance Department. Ron, I think that uh, this may get a lot of people's attention. Harvey, get a lot of people's attention. They probably will look into it. I think so. And you know, if there's any good to come out of it, if people do pay a little more attention, that's a good thing. Yeah. Ron, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you, Scott. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Joining us on the phone now is Greg Hevener. Greg is a uh, Millersville University graduate and a meteorologist who just happened to be stationed in Corpus Christi, Texas, and then went to uh, Victoria, Texas, which is uh, north of Houston. Greg, thank you very much for being with us today. Oh, you're welcome, Scott. Good morning. How are you today? I'm doing well. So you're back in the office in Corpus Christi today, but you've been in Victoria over the last few days. What have you witnessed on the ground? Uh, you know, basically I was there uh, before the storm hit. Uh, I went up there uh, last Thursday, and it was there for you know, the eye while approaching the city just to the southwest of the city limits. And uh, scanning the aftermath of the damage, you know, there's a lot of damage up there. A lot of uh, big old uh, trees, old growth trees came down, lots of power lines down. Uh, the city still doesn't have uh, uh, commercial power, so a lot of generators are running. Uh, there's not really much in the way of, uh, of water. When I left the other day, there still wasn't any water in the city as well. Um, and then on top of it all, the floodwater is starting to rise, too. There's pretty big rivers that run through uh, that portion of the, of the county, Victoria. And uh, they're continuing to rise, and we're seeing flood waves coming out from the north where they got even heavier rain. And so it's going to exacerbate current issues and prolonged flooding expected through the rest of the week, really. So they're not in good shape. I mean, they, they, they fared well in terms of you know, the amount of damage, and mostly it was trees and power lines, not really much in the way of structural damage, which is good. But some of the more uh, older, you see, kind of dilapidated buildings, you know, did um, receive some extensive damage as well with the wind. So, you know, one of the things that uh, we keep hearing from people is about the rain. And, uh, you know, uh, there are so many people who are saying that they've never seen bands of rain like this. They've never seen a heavy rain uh, going on for as long a period of time as uh, they have in this. As a meteorologist, when you look at this, what do you say? I mean, have you ever seen anything like this? No, exactly. I have never. Um, and that's why we'd be using the words, like as unprecedented, because it really is. Um, you know, the last really big rainfall event from a tropical storm that the, this part of the state has received was Tropical Storm Allison, and then unfortunately affected portions of Houston. Uh, with this storm, Harvey, uh, it's the same kind of idea in terms of the heavy rain, but over a much larger area. So you're seeing greater impacts even outside of the areas that experience really that impact from Allison back in 2001. Um, I have never seen anything like what we're seeing in Houston um, in terms of you know, possibly upwards of 50 inches of rainfall in isolated locations. That's absolutely absurd uh, to see those kind of things. And the fact that the rain bands have been relatively, I guess, stationary in terms of just coming off the Gulf and impacting the same areas over and over, hour after hour, day after day, I, I really cannot comprehend and I really have no words to how to describe you know, what's, what's ongoing over in Houston. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. Well, you know, and again, one of the aspects of this storm that is so unprecedented, maybe not unprecedented, but it doesn't happen very often, it's very unusual, is that when there's a tropical storm, a hurricane, we always hear about uh, how many miles per hour it's moving. And, you know, the first hours of, of Harvey moving at one mile per hour and then two miles per hour, it was stationary. And that's one of the reasons that there was so much rain. I mean, how unusual is that? It is very unusual. I mean, the, the, the track of the storm maybe isn't as rare as some would say if they're coming inland, kind of doing a loop to going back out towards the Gulf. But, yeah, the, the forward speed and the way this thing is just kind of moseying or meandering uh, around uh, south, southeast Texas, uh, I haven't seen the likes of that um, in, in some time. I, I can't even recall a storm that's like a good uh, way to describe what's going on right now. I've never seen a storm do this before. And, and that's the issue, like you said. It's basically stalling and sitting on the same area and just repeatedly pounding them with, you know, four to six inches an hour. 
uh, again, that's incomprehensible. So as a meteorologist and uh, you got your training at uh, Millersville, uh, what are you looking at right now? I mean, because the rest of the country, including us here in Pennsylvania, are thinking, OK, are we going to feel any impact from Harvey? What's going to happen over the next few days? I know Louisiana is, is being targeted as well. Correct. Yeah. So basically, the thing's going to make a secondary landfall uh, somewhere along the Texas, the Louisiana border, it looks right now. And then it's going to continue to uh, move, I think, at a, a faster clip to the northeast, uh, maybe up towards the Tennessee Valley and, and points north. I don't exactly know if you're going to see any direct impacts from it other than maybe some, some rain. Uh, I wouldn't think as nearly as prolific as what we're seeing down here. Uh, but there is also the, um, the tropical disturbance off the east coast right now, tropical storm Irma, that's going to be impacting portions of, of the region in terms of some rainfall. And um, you know, if you head to the beach, you know, some higher wave action. So you guys currently are have something in the area. Um, and then Harvey you know, might slip up in the next uh, handful of days you know, towards again. But, you know, nothing like, obviously, what we've seen down here, just maybe some, some rain and some thunderstorms. So, As I mentioned, Louisiana is uh, now bracing for Harvey as well. Uh, what about New Orleans? Is New Orleans in danger? Uh, heavy rainfall. So I know they already have issues over there with, with heavy rainfall. Um, again, I, I do apologize. I'm, I'm not too up on, on what's happening to, to my immediate, uh, Okay. All right. Understand. I understand. Well, Greg Hevener, uh, Millersville University graduate and in Corpus Christi right now with the National Weather Service, uh, spent the last few days in Victoria, Texas. Stay safe, Greg. And uh, I think this is something that there may be even a book in this for you, you know, but uh, (laughs) thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you, Scott. Appreciate your time. Mm And uh, I hope you appreciated uh, the voices that we heard today, hearing a couple from uh, Texas uh, here you know, with ties to central Pennsylvania and also uh, Pima. A lot going on, a lot going on, and it's not going to end uh, f- for a few more days. And as you heard at least one of our guests say, this is something that uh, uh, we may be uh, recovering from, or I say we, we as a country, recovering from for up uh, for maybe even years. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Smart Talk is produced by WITF as part of our mission to deliver relevant, high-quality programming. Support for this program comes from Capital Blue Cross, which shares WITF's commitment to being a valuable and trusted resource for the communities we serve. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by Pinnacle Health, who has offered transapical mitral valve repair procedures for more than three years and currently serves as a trial site for 16 clinical trials. Information at pinnaclehealth.org slash myheart. <laughs>